Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Welcome in. It's Wednesday. It's stoppage time. It's two o'clock. It's time to talk Atlanta United. It's time to talk MLS. A little bit of U.S. men's national team in the mix with an announcement this afternoon. Injuries, red cards, Yankee Stadium's pitch, all kinds of things to get into. We will take your questions as much as we can, so throw them into the comments section. And uh, we got a million things to, to jump off with. Mike, where you want to go? Uh, well, let's let's start with uh, what I think has consumed me, at least on Twitter, for the last 24 hours, which is a uh, discussion about Guzan, who I it's guess obviously was... consumed some league employees who I think are in double digits in replying to people about this. Yeah, well, you know, there's, I don't know. I, I just, I'm <laughs> sorry, and look, I want something very, very clear at the outs. I do not believe... Gabe Siegel had an intent to injure Brad Guzan. No, okay. of course not. Let me make that no. crystal clear. I don't think we ever thought that at any point. Siegel no. immediately apologized as soon as he could to Brad. None of us ever insinuated that. And I think a lot of the noise that has developed in this conversation revolves around, well, Siegel didn't intend to injure Brad, so therefore X. Well, we agree. No, that has zero to Siegel do with it injured. because – because if that's the argument that people want to make against it, Franco Ibarra did not intend to injure James Sands, oh, and James Sands did not intend to injure Franco Ibarra in the way they went into that challenge. That has zero to do with the decision that but, was but not made in this this game. Here's where I just I don't understand the mental pretzel here that's being twisted, where now, um, and again, let, let's go to league employees for a second. I didn't really want to go down this road, but I, I'm really right. struggling with this. You know, we have a, a league employee on the Apple wrap-up show calling Franco Barra a coward, but then saying that Gabe Siegel was unlucky. Um, that's that's quite a distance traveled, uh, you yes. know, between two incidents that were dramatically similar. Uh, now I think what I'm really getting a kick out of that I don't understand is somehow now in the last 24 hours, Juanjo Parata is now somehow to blame for Brad's injury. And, no, and I don't get that either. He's not. Um, look, 
I said what I said on Twitter yesterday because I believe it, and I know you believe it too. Goalkeepers are afforded certain protections because of the vulnerability with which they have to play. They expose parts of their body that are not exposed by outfield players because goalkeepers are able to use their hands. And therefore, they are able to dive over the ball and lead with their head and contort their bodies in certain ways that leave them exposed to being kicked. And that's why, although it's not in the letter of the IFAB laws, but I posted an article in Referee Magazine yesterday, that's why good referees have the common sense to legislate goalkeepers in a slightly different way in which to protect them. And, And what just bothers me like crazy, Jason, is I think we've seen a pattern over the last couple years where referees and the disciplinary committee are more consumed with finding simulation and punishing simulation and, and, you know, going through film with fine tooth combs to find simulation and not doing enough to protect players and address player safety, which should be a far bigger priority, in my opinion, than trying to go frame by frame to see if Ezekiel Barco simulated, uh, you know, when a player was going studs at him uh, and Barco jumped over the studs. I, I I just, I don't understand why our priorities have become that skewed. And look, in fairness to Drew Fisher, it was a bang-bang play. It was a fast-developing play. We cannot look at that play frame by frame in real time, nor can he. Uh, so I, I, I don't even want this to be like a kill-the-ref situation here. I don't think he got it correct, but I do understand why he may have erred. This is why we have VAR. And I, I think if you want to point your finger anywhere on this, I just don't know what the VAR was thinking and not at least sending it down and saying, hey, take a look. And then coming back later and sending down Sansa Barra and, you know, again there, hey, take a look. When in Sansa Barra, you had both players going full pelt into the ball, you, you know, with Sands winding up and kicking. And Abara going for the same ball. And, you know, if we want to use the word unlucky, yeah, there was an unlucky collision. It wasn't cowardly. wasn't intent to injure. It was unlucky. So if we're going to say that Gabe Siegel was unlucky, then we have to also say that Franco Abara, and I don't disagree with his red card, by the way. No. But we also have to say then that Franco Abara was unlucky. Yeah. Um let me let me try to be brief on this because I could go on for 20 minutes about it. I really could. Um, Nigel Rio Coker said that the it was a cowardly challenge from Franco Ibarra on James Sands, and that's a pretty offensive comment to be per, to be to be proper about it because this is not what the word means. It's a term that gets thrown around about challenges. It was not taking advantage of a situation. It was not hitting a defensive uh, defenseless player was not any of the things that would fall under a cowardly challenge. It's a 50-50 ball that was after a series of 50-50 balls in the midfield. James Sands jumps into the challenge, as does Franco Ibarra, and Sands jumps into it to the degree that the reason the ball wasn't there is not because Sands played it intentionally first. He hit it with his left foot as he was jumping in to plant, 
to swing with his right. That's why the ball wasn't there when they both come through with their right legs. It hit off of Sands because he jumped in. It went off of his left foot. It's like hitting it off your plant foot when you're going in to shoot. It's not what you intend to do. Nothing cowardly about that. And that's a that's a ridiculous comment, frankly, from somebody who I think knows better and maybe didn't have the full context of the situation and maybe should have been told a little bit in that moment of, hey, that doesn't really fit here. Uh, nobody pushed back on it, by the way, and that was frustrating to me. Agreed. And and then to have the commentary on the Brad Gazan situation, which, of course, Atlanta fans and, and I would assume anybody around the club is frustrated because Brad Gazan comes back from injury, gets injured here. I would assume that everybody around the club is frustrated because it's the second week in a row that Brad Gazan is hit by a forward recklessly. Um, There was a yellow card given to Corey Burke after some discussion uh, a couple weeks ago, but you have it happen again in a situation where, sure, Gabe Siegel's playing the ball. He's not trying to just go in and kick somebody. Um, That's fine. I think we see red cards happen to players when they are trying to play the ball, but they are reckless in the manner in which they do so. And Gabe Siegel's boot is high. He comes in with studs up. I think he actually connects with his knee. I think they go knee to knee. It's a little hard to tell from the replay. Um, but there's absolute contact on Brad Gazan's knee. That cannot be argued. That's how MCL injuries happen. It's 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 different than an ACL where it can be contact. It's, it's It might not be contact. MCLs are different. Luckily, they're not nearly as severe as ACL injuries. So Brad Gazan, 10 to 12 weeks is the the timeline right now that should bring him back right around the time of leaks cup. Maybe it's after leaks cup that you see Brad Kazan back in league play. We'll just have to wait and see never counting him out in terms of recovering earlier than a timeline, because that's what he did with the Achilles injury, but he's hit in the knee. He is a goalkeeper. It's the second week in a row that he is hit by a reckless forward. Neither one has seen anything more than a yellow card. This one didn't even see that. It's ridiculous that the same goalkeeper is hit recklessly by a forward in back-to-back weeks. It's ridiculous that then there would be a conversation and an attempt to downplay it. That's absurd. Goalkeepers are defenseless in these situations. The way the game is called worldwide sees goalkeepers get an extra level of protection. Is it written into the laws? No. Is it the way the game is called? Yes. Have we all been around this a lot? Yes. Do we know what's right and wrong when you watch a game? Yes. It's absurd that there would be an attempt to downplay frustration about a goalkeeper getting injured when he is hit in the knee on a challenge that he has full right to come for. He didn't come out recklessly. He doesn't go into the player. Siegel's going for the ball doesn't get it, makes contact with the goalkeeper's knee, injures him, and that's okay. That is absurd. And I expect better. Uh, Frankly, I expect better out of the referee in a situation. I expect better out of the VAR in a situation. I expect better in the commentary around the situation. Because it doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense. It's very frustrating. So I hope it gets better. 
But like you said, I mean, you brought up Ezekiel Barco. This was a player who was fouled the most in the league. And somehow the disciplinary committee was more interested in finding two simulation fines for him. I believe the only player in MLS history who's been fined multiple times for simulation in the same season. And I can think of a number of incidents that they didn't seem to find, like Nicholas Figal forearming John Gallagher in the in the jaw in a match. Well, I that, mean, remember, remember, I mean, there's a lot of things we forget about the 2020 season. Yeah. But remember, Yamil Assad had a scissoring horror tackle on, I think it was Barco. It was, it was match, Lennon. Or, but yeah, Brooks Lennon. It, just an absolute horror tackle that probably should have gotten him three games nothing from the disciplinary committee but again if you don't leave the pitch in a timely fashion after being you know sent off look out you know they're going to come after you i I I want to see better i expect better it's time for better and this is in no way to say that referees get it wrong all the time this is in No. no way to say that the disciplinary committee gets it wrong all the time but it can be better and the expectation has to be that it's better it, it's just and, not where it needs to be and let me just jump in and then we're going to move on because i don't want to dwell uh, on yeah this. no there's but other things to talk about i do want to get some questions before we go but i, I just want to go through a couple things on the twitch pitch really quickly because i want to make sure i'm being very very clear on this because unfortunately a couple of years ago i said something i should not have said about someone who works for the league and content creation first of all look Andrew Wiebe absolutely has the right to his opinion, and and he was the you know the league employee who was debating this on Twitter with me and many others yesterday. Andrew absolutely is someone I respect. He has the right to his opinion. I understand. I guess his his view of the play is different than mine. Uh, so I, I just want to be very clear that this is a respectful debate here that we're having. I disagree entirely with his interpretation of it being unlucky. It was a reckless challenge. And let's not get confused again. Just because there wasn't intent to injure does not make the challenge reckless or not reckless. Those are two different things. But I I disagree with Andrew uh, when when he says that the play did not rise to a reckless level. I, I think it absolutely did. And I think if you watch it in real time, I don't know how you can't come up with that conclusion. Brad, the ball may not be between Brad's hands, right? but Brad has the ball clean. There is no way that Siegel is getting to that ball. No. And that's prior to the contact. And again, and and if you don't, if you go in for a challenge in that manner and you don't get to the ball, you're going to pay the price. You should. That's, that's how the game is officiated. If you go sliding into a challenge in the middle third and you're late and you clean somebody out, you're going to get in trouble. That's right. what happens in this game. Just to follow up, just from, from my perspective, I disagree with Andrew's take on it, and I disagree with the need to continue the conversation with multiple people all day because it just felt unnecessary. I, I, I actually, I, I look at it slightly differently. I like the fact he's willing to engage, so I, I, I do at least give him a, a hats off to that. And, and Andrew, look, I consider him, at least a professional acquaintance, if not a friend. I do respect his work. I respect the – look, even Nigel Rio Coker, I respect the work that he does Absolutely. on that show. I just I disagree. fervently disagree and am, frankly, offended with the use of the word cowardly to describe mm-hmm. Franco Ibarra's uh, incident on Saturday. 
as far as the referee, look, Drew Fisher is a good referee. I thought his his line wildly swung from first half to second half on the, the threshold for a foul, and that was, uh, in my opinion, very unfortunate, but he is a good referee. I, you know, someone pointed out, well, he's working this week in, in Seattle, Portland, so no discipline. Well, I, I'm not suggesting that Drew Fisher should be disciplined. It is a bang-bang play. I would like to see maybe a discussion about why the VAR did not send that down to the monitor, at least, because this is what VAR is for in situations like this, where it might be a bang-bang play, and the referee has maybe not the best angle. Let's go back to 2021 in Nashville when Jake Mulraney was sent off by Joe Dickerson. Joe Dickerson had a very, very poor look at the play, and the VAR Eunice Barakchi, if you listen to the transcript of what he said, he, he, he initially said it was a red, and then he somehow changed his mind and didn't even send it down. That was on the VAR, in my opinion. The referee does not have a 360-degree view of all 120 yards of the pitch at all times. So if we want to have a discussion about that, I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying Drew Fisher should be disciplined. I'm just saying the VAR process needs to be looked at. So I just want to address those comments on the Twitch pitch before this goes any further because I want to be very, very clear. We're having a professional debate slash discussion on this. It does not mean that I do not respect any of the opinions that have been expressed here. Yeah, I I completely disagree with those opinions. Um, but yeah, that's not what it's about. We're we're explaining in why we feel the way that we do, having been at the match, having called the match, having seen all the replays. We're entitled to opinions too, you know? Right. We're entitled to to having that. It's not like we don't have a clue about what we're talking about here. You know, we've been doing this for a minute. Been around. Well, the someone game say for I know, but that's okay. <laughs> well, they're wrong. They're completely wrong, and, and that's got to stop. This is this is what happens in this game, especially in the way that the game is officiated. I've, I've talked to people about comparing soccer and basketball in the way that the games are officiated, and there's a lot of feel in both. And the the line it does move a little bit, and it does wobble. And sometimes some referees call it very tight. Sometimes referees call it loose. But in my opinion, there are some non-negotiables and player safety, and especially in this case, goalkeeper safety is an absolute non-negotiable for me. And the fact that it, it feels very cavalier in the discussion around this, that ah, bad luck, whatever, no big deal. That's not OK. In my opinion, that is absolutely not OK. And that should not be condoned. And that needs to be an issue that pro needs to take up. If, if we're going to talk about transition fouls and it seems like finally that's starting to get through, they're calling that more and carding that more. Okay, that's good. Goalkeeper safety shouldn't even be a topic because it typically goalkeepers get maybe overprotected. But in this case, back-to-back -back weeks, Brad Gazant's trucked by attacking players and the second one injures him. And that's not acceptable. And it shouldn't be swept under the rug as an unlucky play because the player gets to the ball second. The player lifted their foot high. I don't think they made contact with the studs on the knee. I think it's the follow through with the knee on knee, but that doesn't change anything. And that's just, it, it's got to be recognized as an issue.
Yep. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, uh, here's the outcome. Brad Guzan's out 10 to 12 weeks, so we're probably not going to see him again until uh, late June at the earliest. Coincidentally, that 10-week timetable puts him on track to return against NYC on uh, June 21st. But, of course, there's lots of variabilities to all that. He's going to be out for a while. So I would assume Quentin Westberg's going to be the guy in Toronto on Saturday. And I got a question on Twitter yesterday. Um, Just in terms of our analysis, Jason, on any – perceptible differences between Guzan and Westberg. So I did a little digging just on raw numbers. Forget the eye test for a second. I'm going to lean on you for eye test. The raw numbers would show that over the last couple years, Westberg might be a slightly better shot stopper in terms of percentages. And Guzan, in terms of Pass accuracy, long ball accuracy might be a slightly better distributor than Westberg just based on numbers alone. No eye test. Now I defer to you if you can perceive anything notable between the two of them in terms of eye test. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a difference between Brad because Brad Kazan's a starter when he's available and Quentin Westberg's not. And I think that's just that's accurate in, in the terms of of where they are. Westberg is an incredibly experienced goalkeeper. So you're in a very different situation than you were last year where no, honestly you weren't because you expected to have an experienced goalkeeper in Bobby Shuttleworth and be able to deliver in the moments that he was called upon. And he didn't, he he just, he didn't and he retired. So now you have somebody who I think is a different personality. Number one in Westberg, very vocal. Uh, I was watching him really closely yesterday at training very vocal. Uh, a lot of conversations with Borata and Robinson, talking to them about positioning, talking to them about getting on the same page. Good things to see. I, I think Westberg is the the leader here in the competition to be the goalkeeper right now. Claymont Diop is not going to sit back and just cede the position. He's going to battle for it as well. But I think Westberg, with his experience, is going to get it. Westberg's very comfortable with the ball at his feet. Um, I don't think he's a goalkeeper who's been asked to play long as much as, as maybe Gazan has. He's typically going to play shorter. He's good with his feet. 
you just got to get into a rhythm with that. And, you know, I wonder how careful he'll be in those situations on Saturday in his first match in a, in a minute. Um, I think he's a good shot stopper. I think he's a very good shot stopper. Big difference in size. So crosses are going to be a little bit more of, I think, leaning on Parata and Robinson to deal with those where Gazan's going to come for those a little bit more. Bigger wingspan on Brad. So he's a different goalkeeper. He's a different personality. But I think the biggest difference, and it's not really between Brad and Quentin, it's more of Quentin and last year's goalkeeping replacements for Brad Gazan, is you have a bigger personality in goal, a more vocal leader in goal, and somebody who's not afraid to speak up. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you had that last year. And I think that was a big issue with the team defensively in, in 2022. Also not insignificant, you have a backup goalkeeper who will play with the luxury of having Miles Robinson in front of him, which, yeah, you know, does. again, as as Atlanta United was kind of fighting their way through with Rocco Rios Novo and eventually Raul Godinho, you didn't have Miles Robinson. You didn't have the benefit of that. Uh, one question I've been getting in a couple different places, not necessarily today, is who picks up the captain's armband now for Atlanta United over these next 10 to 12 weeks? I think that's a really interesting question with a lot of different possibilities in play if you were to ask me right now today um my answer on saturday might be different than my answer in two weeks against chicago if you know where i'm going with that because Um, i think i think there is the potential for franco abar to captain this team at some point this year but he obviously can't on saturday no, I don't think he's. I don't think he really would want that necessarily at his age. Um, I love what he's given this team, and I have no issue with him picking up a red in this situation. He's, he's second to the ball, and like I said, he's second to the ball because Sands actually mishit it. So it is what it is. Um, you can't praise Franco Ibarra's physicality all year long and then have a problem with it when he goes into a tackle strongly. So. Uh, I, I think Franco Ibarra is a, a critical part of this team. Uh, Miles Robinson, in my opinion, is going to get the armband, and I think he should. I think it's a seniority thing as much as anything else. Um, if you want a wild card selection, or if if Miles maybe wants to defer, and I, and I don't know, um, he's been more vocal. I think he, I've seen more just watching him a little bit this year, uh, more leadership kind of outwardly showing from him. But Andrew Gutman's another possibility, too. And then the other question with that is Andrew Gutman getting back on the field because he's healthy, he's back in the group, he's training fully, but he's got to compete with Caleb Wiley, who just got called up to the U.S. men's national team for a midweek game next week. He's not going to miss any games with Atlanta United. But Gutman wants time. Etienne wants time. Wiley wants time. That's three guys for two spots on the left. And I don't know if you're even thinking captain with Gutman if he's not necessarily a locked-in guy right at the moment because he's coming yeah. back from injury. So, you know, Mateus Osechi has worn the armband as well. He's another one who's competing for time. I would expect that we'll see him uh, potentially starting on Saturday, although it's not a, a definite because Sosa could be the replacement for Ibadra, and Sadich has done a good job in keeping his spot. Um, Amar is another one who is a very vocal player and talks a lot and is a, a good leader within the group. Brooks Lennon is another one. So you have some possibilities, but in terms of seniority, Miles Robinson is the, the most obvious selection. And 
if I remember correctly, he was the choice after Brad's injury last year before Miles was injured. Yeah, I think that is right. Yeah, in the game he got hurt, he was wearing the armband, as a matter yeah. of fact. So uh, you're correct. Do you get any feel for Almada and his status based on what you've seen at training? Well, he didn't train yesterday. Uh, we knew that coming in, that they were going to be cautious with him. Um, he had a, an incident late in the match at Yankee Stadium. He was hobbling at the very, very end. Uh, looked like he was walking okay after that, after he kind of got his bearings again. So they're going to be careful with him. Um, the question will be if he trains tomorrow, and I'll be out there, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it. Gonzalo Pineda will speak to the media tomorrow as well. So there will be answers on that. But I didn't get a sense of worry about his availability for the weekend. Okay, that's good. That's uh, that's obviously very, very good news. Um, you're going to need Almada uh, in this match, no doubt about it, up in Toronto. I, I want to pivot back to Wiley, and then maybe we'll look ahead to Toronto because we're running short on time. Uh, look, midweek friendly against Mexico. Really, really cool, though, to see Caleb get a senior national team call up a real uh statement of accomplishment a validation of what he's done to this point and the fact that we're having conversations now about the difficulty of getting Andrew Gutman back into the 11 uh what a testament that is to Caleb Wiley and the job he has done this year in making himself difficult to displace out of this lineup yeah Wiley is just on such a fast track right now and, you know, we talked about this last year when he had two mistakes that were factors in losses. Um, it wasn't the only factor in the Austin loss. Um, it was a big factor in the Red Bulls loss up there at Red Bull Arena. And Gonzalo Pineda, I thought, nailed it when he spoke about it after after one of them. I think it was the Red Bulls game where he said that, you know, it's almost a blessing in some ways for a young player like Wiley to make those mistakes at the first team level this young in his career because he learns this young in his career and he progresses from it this young, this quickly. And this year he's been a rock and all the things that he's needed to do to put himself into this position, which is ahead of anybody's schedule that, that I've seen anybody thought about Wiley going to the senior national team. I thought it was a, was further down the line, but he's jumped that line because of the work he put in, I think in the off season, starting to come into camp he's stronger he is a more cerebral player to be able to transition from an attacking player who had some defensive responsibilities in a pressing scenario and also dropping back but to go from that to playing left back and being just completely solid against two teams that don't give you time on the ball in the red bulls and nyc um very good performances from him and i thought at yankee stadium you know, defensively, he didn't really put a foot wrong, but offensively, what I love from Wiley is carrying the ball into the attacking third, where it's it's tough to find those passing angles at Yankee Stadium. The dribbling becomes very important, and I think it's something that Atlanta did well in the game on Saturday night. I thought they played really well overall, but Wiley carrying the ball up the left side and getting into the attacking third on the dribble was massive, and it's just it's a testament to being able to combine all of his characteristics and abilities to play either position on the wing or at fullback and be this good. You want to hit a couple questions really quick? Yeah. Yeah. I got maybe up to five minutes here. Okay. 
We'll go quickly then. CFA Chris, do you think Guzan's injury could accelerate Abram's path to starting? Parata has not been bad, but is Abram reputed game management skills needed with the loss of Brad's experience? No, I think that's overthinking it. I think Parata's been very good, um, and I don't think you're going to change a center back pairing because of a goalkeeper injury. I, I think that is overthinking it. Westberg will help organize and Robinson and Parata have a very good relationship along with Wiley or Gutman on the left and Lennon on the right. I think they'll be fine. I think the question this time around is, you know, we saw Ibarra in the buildup drop between the center backs more than we're accustomed to. Ibarra has generally stayed in front and it's been Gutman, for example, tucking in to make that line of three in the buildup. We saw Ibarra doing that. That was good. Sosa will do that. But what you got to make sure if Sosa is the six is you've got to get that physicality out of that position that you have been getting from Ibarra. So in terms of like this game, I don't think you're thinking about a center back change because of either absence, but you've got to have the physicality from Sosa and the vocal leadership from Westberg and organization to make things work. Emilio wanting to know, do we know if Brad is having surgery? I have not heard about that. Um, MCLs, if I'm not mistaken, can go either way in terms of, of needing surgery to fix it or not. Um, I know he was at the facility yesterday. I spoke to Grady Jarrett, who was there. Uh, Grady talked about how big of a fan he was of Brad. He's a big fan of the goalkeepers, which was kind of cool to hear. <laughs> um, he was in, there's a picture of him and, and Grady where, He's in a big brace, but I don't know if that's anything to do with a, a surgery that's already happened or a future one. I don't know. There was I just saw a big knee brace. So, yeah, Brad. By the way, was in I thought really good spirits after the game. I mean, I, I when I got word on Monday that the injury was as serious as it was, I was surprised because um, you know you and I both saw Brad on the plane. He looked to be in really good spirits. Uh, you know, no brace or anything at that point. We did know that he was going to have a scan, but, yeah. um, you know, just tremendous amount of bravery for him to finish the game in which he did. And remember, after the injury, he made a couple pretty nice saves, one of them out of routine, or maybe even more than one of them out of routine. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we talk about, I always go back to Alex DeJohn playing about 20, 25 minutes on a broken elbow in Nashville a couple of years ago, Brad right up there and on the courage meter for me for what he did on Saturday. Yeah. Maybe MCLs are a little different than ACLs. Just keep that in mind as, as you go through it. Like it, it's re like if you tear the ACL without a brace, you really can't do anything. And and we do see some folks opt not to have surgery on an ACL and, and continue with a brace to make sure the lateral movement stays. MCL is a little bit different. The way it's generally described is, when you you tear it, it feels like your your knees like catching when you're moving it. So it's a pain threshold thing. Um, it's doable, and you got to get it fixed to be able to be at your best level. So I mean, you got to deal with it. But you know, Brad's a, a a maniac when it comes to dealing with pain and and fighting back. So I I think he will be back as early in that timeline as he possibly can and pushing to get back on the field. All right, let's end on this uh, from Christopher Abel. He wants to know, what is Toronto's biggest weakness defensively, and is there something tactically that Atlanta United could do to break them down? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything massive tactically that you're going to do because you're going to play your game, and that's not going to change. We've seen that against Red Bulls. We saw that at Yankee Stadium. We've seen that throughout the season. So Atlanta's going to play their way. Um, when you talk about like little tactical tweaks, um, you want to try to get Michael Bradley off the ball as much as possible. That was a, a talking point coming into the first time these teams played. And the one time that Toronto hurt you is when you got a little overextended on the press. They found Bradley, and Bradley was able to pick out a ball to Bernardeschi, who ends up killing you in the 1v1. You've got to keep Bradley off the ball. So how the pressure is structured, is it trying to take away the inside and force Toronto to the outside? Is it trying to kind of man-mark Bradley in that buildup? There's a lot of different ways you can do it, and it can look different from the first 45 to the second 45. I think from Atlanta's perspective where they can have a lot of joy in this game is out wide. I really think the fullbacks getting forward and combining with the wingers is where Atlanta can really open Toronto up. I think their their fullback situation is okay. Um, I like Petretta on the left. I think he's solid. But if it's Osorio or a younger player on the left wing, I don't know how much help he's going to get. And you create 2v1s against him. And on the other side, typically when it's Richie Larea, he wants to get forward a ton. And you can get in behind him and you can start to pull that back line apart. So from an attacking perspective, I think Atlanta is going to be looking to use their width a good bit and get those fullbacks involved and, and get the attack creating some overloads out wide. All right, let's end it there. Uh, Jason and I will be on Saturday night, 7 o'clock, right after the Hawks game, by the way. Uh, so actually, maybe even a minute or two before 7. Uh, from BMO Field in Toronto, we'll be on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We'll be on the Odyssey app. We'll be on Sirius XM Channel 157 as well. 7.30 kickoff. We'll have the full-time report after the match, and then we'll be back here for stoppage time next Wednesday at 2 p.m. as we look ahead to a very rare... Sunday home game against Chicago and then U.S. Open Cup against a lot of familiar faces on Memphis 901. I've had a lot of fun looking at them the last day or two. A lot of familiar faces from uh, not only Atlanta United, but uh, just feels like a lot of familiar USL faces that have now gathered in uh, Memphis and, of course, Stephen Glass as well. But we'll look ahead to that next week. Uh, in the meantime, Jason, I am looking forward to Hopefully some good Greek food up in Toronto. We got to go back to that place. I'm down with that. Maybe that'll uh, spark your ghost into a goal on Saturday night. All right. Yeah. Boom Yakimakis. Absolutely. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 